But you know what is in a name? You know, in my lifetime, I've been called Billy by my mama. I've been called Hubby by my wife. I've been called William by telemarketers. I've been called Mr. Barlow by a police officer. And I've been called a host of other names that ain't suitable for church, amen? But in our day and time, it's not so important what you're called. It's more important who you belong to, who you're listening to, and to whom you obey. You know, Janet and I recently noticed a new trend among new parents. When it comes to naming their child, it seems that the older style names are making a comeback. Just in our church, we have Gwendolyn and Hollis. We have Vivian and Eleanor and Hazel and Ruby and, of course, my granddaughter Iris. Somebody say amen. <laughs> but, you know, naming a child often takes months of serious deliberations. It often takes a long time of searching before that perfect name is selected. But when it came to choosing a name for our Lord Jesus Christ, no name was more accurate. No name was more suitable in describing God's purpose for sending him than the name Savior. Savior. Say that with me. Savior. Through the ages, he's been called many things. Holy child. The Lamb of God. The suffering servant. The Word of God. The Prince of Peace. Mighty God. Emmanuel. The Rock. Our Judge. King of Kings. Lord of all. Teacher, light of the world, the Alpha and the Omega, the resurrection and the life, and of course, the only way to heaven. Somebody say amen. Now, the Bible uses more than 300 names and titles to describe Jesus and the mission he came to accomplish. But you know... It, you can't no more contain Jesus in a name or a title than you can contain the ocean in a bottle. He's indescribable. So how does one go about describing the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, so far this Christmas, we have learned that the name Jesus describes his goal for us. Namely, saving us from our sins. We also learn that that name, Emmanuel, describes God's proximity to us. As I mentioned earlier, God is no longer around us. He's no longer above us. No, God is now with us. And that is so important. But what about that name, Savior? That name, Savior, describes his earthly mission. If you would go with me to Luke chapter 2, I want to share two verses with you that we actually read last week. Two verses 
where the angels are speaking to the shepherds. And I want to reiterate, beginning in verse 10, Then the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you, say to me, born to me this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When Jesus took that title Savior, he gave the word a whole new meaning. You see, that title Savior not only defines Jesus' life, but it also defines his death. And in Luke chapter 19, in verse 10, Jesus defined the title Savior when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now going back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, we find the promise of this Savior. The promise of this Savior. This promise in verse 11 is really a follow-up to the prophecy given more than 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 6 where the prophet said, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior, a Son is given. And this government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But just a few moments before the birth of Jesus Christ, God himself retold that same promise to Joseph when he said in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, and she will bring forth a son. And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Bill, why do you reshare verses that you've already preached from this Christmas? Well, I want to remind you yet again that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises Jesus was not born by accident. No, it comes as a result of the promise of God. God keeps his promises. And friend, as you go through your life, through the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the easy and the difficult, the sickness and in health, the one thing you need to know is that God keeps his promises and you can trust the word of God. And the promise of this Savior is no different. But verse 11 also speaks of the purpose of this Savior. For there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now in the very first message of our Christmas series, we ask the question, why did Jesus come as a man? And we discovered that he came to satisfy Old Testament prophecy. 
that he came to show us the Father, to save us from sin, to sympathize with our weakness, but most of all, he came to secure our hope of heaven. But friend, listen, if you wanted to boil all that down to just one statement, you could say that Jesus basically came to do the Father's business. Jesus came to do what the Father asked him to do. For example, one day, Jesus encountered a very rich, but a very short tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a... Thank you very much. But Zacchaeus... Being too short to see over the crowds and wanting to see Jesus as he passed down the road, climbed up into a sycamore tree. And when Jesus came near, Jesus called Zacchaeus down out of that tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I want to go to lunch with you at the fish krill. Somebody say amen. Maybe it wasn't the fish krill. I don't know. Anyway. The townspeople were infuriated. They were upset. They hated the way that Zacchaeus always took advantage of them in collecting taxes. And when Jesus himself was questioned, why would you eat with the man the likes of Zacchaeus? Jesus said, even the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I tell you, you can't get low enough for Jesus not to seek you and save you if you're lost. You see, the Savior was needed in order to seek the lost. The first thing that Jesus begins to do in your life is he begins to seek you out. I've heard many people say in their testimony, I found the Lord. I got news for you. No, friend, you weren't seeking the Lord. The Lord was seeking you. In Luke's gospel, we're told of that lost sheep. We're told of that lost coin. We're told of that lost prodigal son. And every single one of those had to be sought in order to be found. That's what the Savior does for you and I. Jesus came to this planet on a rescue mission seeking you out. A rescue mission with one focus. And that was the lost. Those that had no relationship with God and no hope of heaven. He came seeking the lost. But that focus required two actions. First, it took the Savior seeking the lost before he could save the lost. Aren't you glad, friend, that Jesus sought you out? Aren't you glad, friend, that Jesus rescued you from your sin? But not only did the Savior seek out the lost, the Savior also saved the lost. Now, when I think about somebody being saved, when I think about somebody being rescued, I think about somebody hanging from a, a Coast Guard helicopter, right? When I think about somebody being rescued, I think of somebody clinging to a capsized boat. When I think of somebody being rescued, 
I think of Jessica McClure. 34 years ago, an 18-month-old little girl named Jessica fell into an 8-inch diameter well that was about 25 feet deep. Y'all, who, who remembers Jessica? Amen. Well, for 56 hours, emergency crews worked day and night feverishly trying to rescue this poor little 18-month-old baby. And then, finally, on national television, all of America got to see baby Jessica. Everybody's baby, as she was called. Everybody got to see that baby come up out of that well as those emergency crews rescued her. That's what I think when I think about rescue. That was a real exciting day. But, you know, few people think that being rescued can be a rescue from the bondage of sin. Not very many people think that rescue can be from the bondage of darkness, the bondage of addiction, the bondage of pain, the bondage of lostness, much of which is our own making. And many, without even realizing it, they're just lost people. They're just lost people longing for and crying out to be rescued. You see, until humans are able to admit to God that we fall short of his glorious perfection, whatever good Jesus did on the cross doesn't have any meaning Jesus will simply not force himself on anyone. You see, he seeks us out. He seeks us out until ultimately he waits for us to accept by faith this incredible gift of being saved from our sin. So what's in the name, Savior? A promise to be sure but also the purpose, the why of why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But there's something else in that name, Savior, and that is what God provided for you and I, the provision of the Savior. Verse 11 could have well been written, unto you, has been provided this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, the Lord's birth is an absolute fact of history. The Bible says, for unto you is born this day. This day. You see, there is a specific moment in human history where the Lord Jesus arrived on the scene through the Virgin Mary. On a certain day, at a certain place, at a certain time, the Son of God was born into humanity. And the Bible is clear that Jesus' birth is an absolute historical fact. His birth was not the start of some religion. 
No, it is the historical record of a person whose birthday we're celebrating today. But in addition to being a historical fact, the Lord's birth was also a fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. The city of David is the city of Bethlehem. Why then would the Savior of the world be born in a rinky-dink little town like Bethlehem? Well, the reason is, is because 700 years before, one of God's promises came through the prophet Micah, who foretold that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. That's why. Amen? And how many of you know that God always keeps his promises? Always keeps his promises. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands in Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me a ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Fulfilling a prophecy from 700 years prior? Man, that ain't nothing shorter than a miracle, amen? That's a miracle. But God providing a Savior is not only a fact of history. God providing a Savior is not only a fulfillment of prophecy. As it turns out, it's also the foundation of our eternity. Listen carefully. My friend, unto you and you and you and you unto you and to you, you, you. You, unto you, a Savior has been born. A Savior has been born. You see, Jesus is not only the Savior of the whole world. Jesus is not only my Savior. He's your Savior too. And we need to make that personal. He's our Savior. You see, God entered into humanity so that humanity could enter into eternity. Did you hear that, church? God entered into humanity so that humanity could enter into eternity. That's the only way it could happen. And listen, at some point during this Christmas season, and you're running out of time. At some point during your celebration, you got to stop thinking about the packages you got to stop thinking about all the shopping that you did or didn't do. you got to stop thinking about all the trimmings and start thinking about the Christ. Yes, he is the holy child. But as importantly as that, he is mighty God. He is the suffering servant of God. He is the prince of peace, the king of kings, the Lord of all. He's the only way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. And he was born on a day that we celebrate tomorrow. John introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The wise men recognized him as the king of the Jews. And y'all remember old Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas said, he's my Lord and my God. My Lord 
and my God. You see, Christmas is all about the Christ. It's all about the Savior. It's not about the presence. It's about his presence with us. How many of y'all are feeling his presence this morning? Amen. That's what Christmas is about. Feeling the presence of God in your midst, in the midst of your family, in the midst of your church. Oh, that's the, that's the true definition of Christmas. Now, this morning, I'm reminded that I'm a lawbreaker. And I'm not saying that I'm a lawbreaker just because I was a hoodlum at one time, because I was. What I'm saying is, is that I have broken God's laws and I deserve to be punished. Friend, I deserve to die a thousand times over for how I've treated God. But there is a specific day in a specific time in human history when God's child splayed himself out on a wooden beam and he took the beatings and the nails that I deserved. And on the day that I placed my trust in him, the day that I placed my faith in God's child, the day that I placed my faith in what God, what Jesus did, he became my Savior. On April the 14th, 1977, Jesus became my Savior. Is he your Savior this morning? Can you put your finger on it? That was the day. That was the time. I remember, remember it well. That's when Jesus became my Savior. You may say, Bill, I don't understand it. I don't understand how a child could be born of a virgin. That don't make no sense to me. You may say, Bill, I don't understand it. How could God become a man? I don't understand it. How in the world could one man die for the sins of all mankind? I just don't get it. I don't understand it. And you know what I say? Good. Because I don't understand it either. But you know what? God never asked us to understand it. He just expects us to believe it because he said it. So, I want to encourage you to put away all your scientific theories. Put away all your mathematic equations. Put away all your philosophical notions and believe it because God said it. He came to be your Savior. He came to be your Savior. And listen, it's not, it's not enough for you to believe that he's the Savior of the world. It's not enough for you to believe Brother Bill's personal testimony that he's my Savior. No, friend, you, you must acknowledge 
that because of your sin, you too deserve to be punished. You must acknowledge and you must come and place your trust in the Savior. So how do you do that? Well, to express your desire to be saved from the punishment of sin, you must pray to God with all your heart, with all that you know that you're able to pray to God with all your heart, admitting to him that like me, you deserve to be punished. Praying with all your heart and acknowledging that Jesus took your punishment on the cross. Praying with all your heart that you can accept the forgiveness of your sins. And then thank him and thank him alone for dying on the cross for you and saving you from the horrific consequences of sin. And then guess what happens? He becomes your Savior! Your Savior! Praise God He can become your Savior! But you know, in reality, Christmas is really just a celebration of John 3.16. For God so loved you and you you and you and you and you. He so loved you. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. You see, our greatest need was to have a savior from sin. And the only one who could provide that was a Savior from heaven. It simply had to be the sinless God-man Jesus. There was no other that was suitable. No other could do it for us. So friend, I want to encourage you. Let this day. Let this day be your day. Whereby, friend, you are inviting Jesus into your life, inviting Jesus to be your own personal Savior and Lord. You see, that's why he came, was to be your Savior and your Savior. How do you know, Bill? Well, did you remember what the angel said? For unto you has been provided this day in the city of David a Savior. If you don't have the Savior, don't walk out of this building without knowing that you have Jesus as your Savior. Let me pray for you. Lord God Almighty, we praise you and thank you that you saw our greatest need to have a Savior from sin. And Lord, I thank you that you 
knew that the only one who could provide it was a Savior from heaven. Thank you for our Jesus. And Lord, I pray that each one here today recognizes their need for a Savior. And Lord, today is the day you've chosen for them to be sought out and to be saved. Lord, I pray they would rush the altar. Lord, that they would come here and say, I need the Savior. Because, Lord, at one time we all did. And we all came to Jesus the same way. Having been sought out, we admitted our need, acknowledged that he was the payment for, punish, for the punishment of our sin, and acknowledging that he alone was worthy enough to be our Savior. So, Lord, whatever your will is in each one of our lives today, Father, I pray that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us to celebrate this Christmas in a way that brings you honor. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us like you do. And that while we were still sinners, you sent the Savior to die for us. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. A little town of Bethlehem. Amen.